This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. Our first reading is from the book of Genesis, chapter 32, beginning at verse 22. And Jacob arose that night and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed over the ford of Jabbok. He took them, sent them over the brook, and sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go, for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men, and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, saying, Tell me your name, I pray. And he said, Why is it that you ask me about my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Peniel, the sun rose on him, and he limped on his hip. This is the word of the Lord. Let us again rise and to hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ as it is recorded in the gospel of St. Luke, chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. Then Jesus spoke a parable to them that men ought always to pray and not lose heart, saying, there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, though I do not fear God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said, and shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? This is the gospel of the Lord. So, Father in heaven, we uh, do come to you. We come uh, wanting to learn, wanting to know. But, Lord, ultimately... We come wanting to be changed and transformed. We don't want to remain our stinky, rotten selves. But uh, Lord, we certainly want 
uh, to live a life that not only pleases you, but brings glory to you, a life that is whole and holy. Lord, help us, we pray. Help us to better understand you and to uh, accept your dealings in our lives. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Look, I want to um, start by just reminding you, uh, and again, I'm on my one foot here, uh, reminding you of our story in Genesis. In the context of this story, the story of Jacob and his family is a huge story. It takes up 25 chapters uh, in the book of Genesis. And it is a great story. It is juicy. Uh, it is full of drama. It is full of irony. It's full of humor. It's full of twists and turns and tragedy. And it could be a soap opera, easily. <clears throat> uh, Netflix should make a movie uh, out of this. Because here we have the story of a man uh, who is a deceiver and a trickster uh, and a liar, and yet he is one of the patriarchs of Israel. Paul even goes as far as saying God loves Israel and the Jewish people, or God loves the Jewish people for the sake of the patriarchs, and that includes Jacob and his dysfunctional, messed up life. This is quite amazing uh, <clears throat> when we think about it. Now, of course, we, we have to be a little merciful to Jacob because he comes by it honestly. Uh, he lies, he deceives, deceives, he shows favoritism, he hurts people, but where did he learn it from? From mommy and daddy and from his grandparents. So the whole family system uh, is uh, disturbed and broken uh, and uh, full of sin. And Genesis is an interesting study of how sin, if it's not dealt with, is passed down from generation to generation uh, in a family. Uh, Genesis alone should be a uh, required reading for everyone uh, studying family systems, um, family systems therapy. Now, the focus of the book of Genesis and even of the entire Bible, is not on human failure. I mean, this is a given. Humans are flawed. Uh, humans certainly are broken. Humans, humans sin. But the, uh, the issue, the Bible, the, especially in the, the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament, is what to do about this, right? What is the solution uh, to... Um, uh, to this. And here we have an interesting, I think, uh, more than interesting, I think a, um, uh, a very, very important story when Jacob, the liar, the man who's always afraid, always fearful. In fact, the adjective that you can connect, you can attach to Jacob over and over again is that he is fearful. You can look throughout the scripture numerous times, I think five or six times, talks about Jacob being afraid. Of course, he may have some justification for being afraid after he stole his brother's blessing, uh, stole his brother's birthright, uh, and of course, in his fear, he leaves the land of Canaan 
and he goes off to live with Laban, and Jacob, the deceiver, meets Laban, the bigger deceiver. Yes, and so in a, there's a very juicy uh, irony in all of this that Jacob sort of reaps what he sows. Um, he, he himself is a trickster, but uh, Laban certainly, uh, you know, Laban certainly outdoes him. And uh, this is what the Bible often uh, understands as measure for measure, or we reap what we sow. We do have to be careful with this kind of theology because there is a, a limit and an end to it. But even in the midst of Jacob reaping what he had sown, he still knows uh, God's blessing. Even in the midst of showing favoritism and hurting Leah and choosing Rachel, he's still, um, God's hand uh, is still upon him. After 22 years of living outside the land, God tells him to return. He begins his return, and then he hears that he's going to meet his brother Esau. You know, Esau in previous and uh, earlier chapters wanted to kill, <clears throat> you know, said, I'm going to kill my brother for what he's done to me. And is Jacob afraid? He is petrified. And in our uh, account, uh, in our story, uh, Jacob is alone, interestingly enough. Uh, he is not hiding behind the women and children as he was before. And he um, has this strange, incredibly mysterious encounter. I don't quite know what to, to do with this count, encounter because the who, the, uh, the, I mean, who does he encounter? He says, I see the face of God. Hosea later tells us that he uh, met an angel. Um, why is he alone? Why isn't he with, uh, with the others? What's this fighting all about? Why is he struggling? Why is his hip put out of joint? All of these questions are, are um, very, very difficult to answer when we deal with this particular story. But there are some things that are very clear, and those things I think are hopefully appropriate um, for us to, um, to, uh, to consider. And that, that is really um, the following. What happens, what happens to, to, um, to Jacob as a result of this fight? Or what happens after the result of this uh, strange encounter? So I think the first thing that we should notice is that there is a transformation in Jacob. That in the process of wrestling, in the process of fighting, there is a change. Jacob is no longer fearful. Jacob, after this encounter, will go out and meet. He won't put the women and children first, as, as we read about in chapter 32, but he will go out and uh, actually meet uh, his brother Esau and not uh, run away from, uh, you might say, his, from his responsibility. So there's a radical transformation in Jacob. Secondly, okay, 
Secondly, there is a new, um, there is a new identity uh, with this man. He has his name changed. No longer is he Jacob the liar or Jacob the schemer, but he is Jacob, right, who becomes Israel. Now Israel is a, Israel, there's lots of ways to translate this. Maybe the most direct way is one who struggles or fights with God. This is the name that's given to the Jewish people. And uh, we might easily say in our misconception or our misunderstanding of, of uh, Israel and the Jewish people, yes, that makes sense. They're always fighting with God. But in a way, this also belongs to us as Christians because we too struggle in many ways and on many, uh, on many different levels. Uh, something we'll come back to uh, in a minute. But Israel, the, the word Yisrael, really is very connected to the word yeshar, or related to the word yeshar. Yeshar is to be upright, okay? To be straight, to, have a, uh, to, to live in a way of, of uh, righteousness. And this sort of indicates or shows that after Jacob has this encounter, <coughs> his identity changes. And finally, I think also this leads to a, um, certainly leads to a reconciliation, right? That this encounter uh, not only changes Jacob forever, but changes his relationship uh, with others like uh, nothing is done to him uh, in the past. Now, what can we say or what should we say really about this? How, does, how would this how might this be applicable for us? I would say the first thing, okay, number one, is that sometimes, many times, okay, God um, encounters us, looks for us, and he fights with us, or he wrestles with us, or he contends with us. He strives with us. You can use any word you like. Now, the common evangelical way of dealing with this is God gave me a revelation. God is gently leading me, you know, to change. God showed me in a verse, I shouldn't do this or I shouldn't do that. All those things are true. God, in many ways, many times deals with us uh, in that way, in a very gentle and oftentimes very slow way. But there's, oft, there's other times, and here's where the tension comes, and the paradox, and we have to live within that paradox. Okay, the tension and the paradox comes is that God sometimes will indeed wrestle us, wrestle with us. Now, we don't often know it's God, because Jacob, when he encounters the angel, or whoever he encountered, he says, I'm encountering a man. It's something human. And when we have trouble at work, or trouble in our marriage, or trouble with our relationships, we think sometimes it's the devil, or we think, oh, this is just an ordinary human problem, but actually God is in that, the midst of that struggle. 
And what he actually wants from us is he wants to transform us. He wants to change us. He wants, according to Philippians 1.6, to complete every good work in us. Yes? And sometimes he uses things, you know, that are not, you know, very comfortable. Secondly, out of this, Jacob gets a new identity. And I, I hope that as God is transforming us, and by the way, I hope that's our goal, not just to get to heaven, but our goal is to come into a place of maturity, yes? Our goal is to uh, enjoy uh, eternal life in the here and now, to enjoy that relationship with uh, Jesus the Messiah, which brings us into fellowship with the Father. But as he gets a new identity, we too should have a new identity. And our identity is very often um, cheap. The identity that we more often than not give ourselves goes like this. I am a sinner saved by grace. So, you know, I really can't help it when I lose my temper. I really can't help it when I click on the porn. I really can't help it, you know, when I'm not willing to forgive somebody, or I can't deal with my addiction. That's a horrible identity. That's always an excuse to sin. Is it not? Wouldn't it be better to say, you know, I am, a per I am someone wrestling with God who's in the process of transforming me. And that process of transformation, that process of wrestling with God, is that God so more often than not breaks, breaks down our pride and, right, and breaks our self-righteousness so that we can actually call on him. So that we can actually, in the words of the old blues song, we ain't too proud to beg. Yes? And of, and of course this encounter leads to a reconciliation. Right? It leads not only to a change in the way a person relates to God, but in a change in the way that Jacob related and actually we relate to others. More often than not, our struggle or how, what God will use to, to wrestle with us, to break us in a way, will be our relationships with others and in particular our relationships with our families. Now. What, what, what can we say about Jacob? Yes, what can we say about his, his wrestling, his encounter with the living God? And I would say the following. What does Jacob do, okay? Not just what happens to Jacob, but what does Jacob do in all of this? One, Jacob is vulnerable. There's a vulnerability with Jake. He's alone, and he's by himself, right? It's no uh, God, you know, it's my family that makes me the way that I am. You know, it's, uh, other, it's the politicians, it's the political system, it's the rich, it's the leftist, you know, they're, 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 they're responsible for all this. No, Jacob is alone. And he has to take responsibility, okay, for his own life. And his life of uh, deceit, yes, his life of being, his, certainly his life 
of uh, uh, being a trickster. Um, and and when, in just a minute, we'll see actually how it even, I, th I think, will strengthen, I, I hope, this idea of vulnerability. But by the way, in the process of wrestling with God, in the process of being broken and transformed, yes, Jacob will have a, probably a lifelong reminder of that encounter. Yes, his limp, his limp, yes. Uh, it was Tozer, yes, the great evangelical theologian who said, some of you can complete the quote, never trust someone who doesn't walk with a limp. In particular, never trust a Christian leader who doesn't walk with a limp. That's self-explanatory, isn't it? Or that's pretty explanatory. You don't need to, to unpack that, and I won't because keeping in mind the crowd that we have and that we have these poor people in the back standing, yes. But uh, after that encounter, yes, Jacob will have a limp. Now, it'll always be a reminder, yeah, of uh, God coming to him, yes, addressing him and br bringing him, uh, changing his life or, or trans transforming his life. I think the other thing that's important about this story is that Jacob shows a character trait that I, would, I hope all of us would consider to be important. As we'll see as we turn in a minute to the gospel story. Jacob is insistent, or he's persistent. Jacob will not give up. Yes, he insists, he insists to keep fighting until he gets a blessing, okay? Because there is a desperation with Jacob. And as Derek Prince used to say, and Derek Prince used to come to this church, and he used to sit right here, yes, on my right, the second or third, he always used to say, you know, it's desperate people who get things from God. People who are desperate. People who are passive, yes. People who don't wanna fight. If you wanna quit, if you wanna run away, from what God is doing in your life and you don't want that encounter, you don't want that wrestling. No, God doesn't always wrestle with us. Sometimes it's gentle. Sometimes it's a revelation. Sometimes it's a miracle. But sometimes it's a fight. And here we have to be careful of putting God into some kind of category. God is not the God of the philosophers who remains unmoved and uninvolved. God is not totally, fully the God is described, I know I'm gonna get into trouble, by Reformed theology. God's bigger than Reformed theology. He's bigger than Pentecostalism. He's bigger than Anglicanism. Yes, he's big, bigger than Richard Dawkins, okay? And he doesn't fit into nice, neat categories. You know, God's not a fashion model where everything is beautiful and glamorous. Or God's not a furniture store, you know, when you go to the showroom, you know. God, 
God encounters us in our mess. And when he encounters us in that mess, we can't always very simply put him into uh, put him into those particular categories. But still, what's the response? The response is that if we really want something, at times we need to show desperation. And how we show desperation is that we hang on and we don't quit. Yes? That, uh, and it's during that time that we show our humility or vulnerability. Which reminds me, yes, of the story or not reminds me, it just makes us turn to the story of the widow. Here is the story, a a parable in Luke chapter 18 of a widow. Now, this is really in reality, this is a story that is not warm and not fuzzy uh, and it's not a feel-good parable. The reason being is that uh, the widow, who we have a lot of sympathy for, Uh, certainly in the Greek, when she she says she wants justice, literally she says in the Greek she wants vengeance. She wants vengeance. Ooh, well, that doesn't sound very nice. And the judge says, I better do something because she might box me. She might give me a black eye. See, we had a wrestling match with Jacob. Now we have a boxing boxing match with uh, this this particular parable. And so... Jesus is saying, God is not exactly like this judge. But is that exactly, but is that fully what Jesus is saying? Because this woman, what she does is that she also shows a desperation and she shows a persistence and she's equally vulnerable, okay? Not all widows were poor, but I, we take, should probably take it in this story, this parable, that <coughs> she was poor and she had no means uh, of getting justice. She couldn't give a bribe, for example. So she is literally begging, she's hounding, she's being persistent, she's being desperate. And when Jesus talks about prayer, or when he talks about remaining faithful even in the most difficult of circumstances because that's in part what precedes this parable in um, chapter 17. And by the way, what, what kind of difficult circumstances is Jesus talking about sometimes? He's talking about sometimes the ordinary routine of life. You know, paying the bills, getting to work on time, getting the children <coughs> dressed and sent off to school, visiting the grandchildren, this can be, uh, this can take us away from what's essential and important and from our focus on the kingdom of God just as much as uh, living in difficult times or or living in the middle of a war or whatever it, uh, uh, living in the middle of political turmoil or unrest, okay? So Jesus tells the story of this widow. And again, we're not sure if she's the most positive of characters, but she is persistent. And God honors persistence. Now, in the last two or three weeks, 
we've mentioned uh, this over and over again because our readings in Luke have actually demanded this. So I apologize if you've heard this before. But what is faith? What is faith that God honors? Now, faith can be this sense of trust. It can be a reliance uh, on God uh, and not uh, trusting in yourself. But it can also be persistence because that's the Hebrew word for faith and also the Greek word for faith. They both have this quality or this understanding that faith can be trust, but faith can also be loyalty and persistence and a refusal to give up. Yes, the woman, yes, the Syrophoenician woman that Jesus meets, she has faith. Why? Because she refuses to take no for an answer. The woman with the issue of blood, yes, fights her way through the crowd. She refused to take, she refuses to take no for an answer. The blind man on the road to Jericho, and he's told, shut up, shut up, shut up. He, he, he says, no, I'm not going to shut up. I'm going to yell even louder. You see, that is, Jesus in every case says, your faith has healed you. Last week, the man who, who came back, who, who took the trouble to go, come back and find Jesus after being uh, cleansed by Jesus and after showing himself to the priest, <coughs> Jesus says, your faith has healed you. And so all of this kind of indicates a struggle. Now, you have often heard it said, you've often heard it said, it's about grace. It's about grace. It's the Spirit. We shouldn't have to do anything. God's going to do everything. I'm going to stand still and let God do it. My dear friends, that is true sometimes, but it is not true always. And sometimes when we struggle and sometimes when we persist, it's not that we're doing this in our own strength. It's not that we're doing this because we're not confident in what God is going to do for us. We're doing it exactly uh, for the opposite reason. We know what God did for us last week. We know what God did for us last year. We know his character. We know he's faithful. We will continue to persevere. We will continue to be desperate. We will be desperate for our children who don't know the Lord. We might be desperate for our economic situation or for the, for the health of a friend or maybe our medical situation. We will be desperate. I hope people will be desperate for, for the nation in which we live. Maybe the reason God doesn't uh, move on the nations as much is because we lack that desperation and we have this happy-go-lucky, oh, God's going to do something. God's going to doing something. God's at work. Praise the Lord. I need to pick the kids up from uh, football. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there has to be, and sometimes we have to show God we're desperate, and God responds to that. God responds to a prayer of faith. Both work, but both work at different times and in different ways. You know, Jesus says at the end of the, when he, the the widow who, who persists, and who defines what faith is, yes, as being vulnerable, being 
insistent, uh, persevering, because she knows ultimately, yes, that this judge will give her what she wants. And we know ultimately that God will answer us. Sometimes the answer is no, but God does uh, answer us. Jesus says, when I come back, will there be faith on the earth? Yes? Now, we can all uh, think to ourselves, yeah, Jesus must be talking about the great apostasy. And there will be, at the end of days, a turning away from the Lord. Yes, there will be a turning away from the truth. This is all through the New Testament and Jewish literature, uh, Jewish apocalyptic literature similarly uh, has uh, a... uh, an idea or has a a worldview that is no different. But I'm not sure that Jesus exactly means this. And I'll tell you why. Because people will do, people will believe uh, anything. And there are millions of people who believe in God and who believe in Jesus all over the world. Take the United States, for example. We're full of people who believe. Yet the, our lifestyle and the statistics don't really show that. The divorce rate, the number of abortions, um, our enslavement to the entertainment industry and the values of the entertainment industry. Yes? So the question that Jesus is probably asking is when I come back, will I find people being faithful? Will I find people being persistent? Will I find people being loyal, continuing, continuing on? And that's the question that we have to ask ourselves. Yes, I'm sure we all believe, most of us believe the right thing, and hopefully we do not believe false teaching. But very often our morality determines our theology. Our lack of faithfulness determines our theology. Yes? Are we faithful? Will, when the Lord returns, will he find us persistent? Yes? Will he find us uh, insistent? Will he find us uh, persevering? Will he find us dependent upon him? vulnerable enough, yeah, to ask and to keep asking and to keep asking. That's the question. And when is the Lord coming back? My dear friends, soon. Because if, may I remind us all, may I remind us all, uh, and contrary to a study that I read this morning from Bar-Ilan University. Bar-Ilan University near Tel Aviv did a study and it said that uh, we as human beings have brains wired not to think about our deaths, but to think about other people dying, not about us dying. Well, if our brain is wired that way, then we should rewire our brain because all of us are in the process of dying. And all of us, before we know it, if Jesus doesn't come back, we will stand before the Lord. Yes, and will he say to us, I hope he'll say to each one of us, well done, you good and believing servant. You believed all the right things. 
you had your doctrine correct. Well done, you know, you good uh, servant who went to the right church, who had the right, you know, uh, gave a right, the right amount of money to tithing. Yes? And he'll say, no, well done, you good and faithful servant. That's the question, yes? That's what we learn from Jacob. That's what we learn from the woman, is to be faithful. To be faithful in prayer and to be faithful in the way, certainly in the way that we live and to al- not to run away from God, what God is doing in our lives, even if that is hard. Not to quit, not to throw up our hands, to say it's hopeless, but to allow God to do his work in us knowing that God is good and that God wants to bring us uh, to a place of maturity. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that uh, the story of Jacob will inspire us, that uh, we will indeed want to be transformed, that we'll want to do the hard work, that we'll not be afraid of uh, your dealings with us, but instead we ask that uh, you would give each one of us grace and be merciful to each one of us. We ask that, uh, Lord, despite our laziness or our rebellion uh, or our blindness, that, Lord, you would not give up on each one of us, but you would continue to do your work in us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.